Hello and welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is where we talk about money, investing and all things personal finance. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe, and it's my mission to help you make the best financial decisions because money is a tool, life is for living. But first, a message from our sponsors, MoneyHub. MoneyHub is on a mission to engage and empower its customers to take control of their financial data and improve their financial wellness. Winners of Best Open Finance Innovation at last year's Open Bank Expo Awards, MoneyHub provides a central place to see all your accounts and assets in one place so you can see exactly what's going in and out of your account. With the widest range of connections available in the UK, you can connect to your current accounts, credit cards, investments, pensions, savings, mortgages, and loans with ease. This gives you visibility across your entire financial universe. Once connected, MoneyHub will break down money management into simple, actionable steps. You can analyze your spending, see how your investments are performing, and set yourself personal spending goals. If you are a homeowner, you can connect your property and see up-to-date property valuations via Zoopla. Or if you rent, you can report your rent payments to Experian to give your credit score a boost. To get started, download the app and sign up to your free six-month trial with no automatic renewals. So you can choose if you want to continue after the trial is out. With Money Hub, small improvements lead to big achievements, whether it's paying off debt, boosting savings, or monitoring your investments. Money Hub makes money management simple and convenient. Download the app today on the Apple Store or Google Play. I will leave a link in the show notes. All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Conversation of Money podcast. We are firmly in 2022. This is the first episode that I'm recording for this year. It may not be the first episode that airs though. So you're going to be time travel almost really pretty much, but we are going to be talking about a topic that is extremely important. I've certainly had a lot of questions about this topic and we're going to be talking about taxes on crypto assets and crypto in general. Now I have um, made a few videos that were explainers on YouTube. So if you follow me on YouTube as well, you could you would have been able to see those and kind of get my views based on what I was able to find out. But what I've been trying to do for, it feels like the last three months of 2021 was find someone who's qualified to actually speak on this. And I have the huge honor of introducing um, Chris Etherington, who is from a company here in the UK called um, RSM. They're one of the biggest accountancy firms in the country. And he is an expert. He's a qualified accountant. I'm going to let him introduce himself. But if you are in the crypto space right now, you're investing, you're trading, you're staking, and you're trying to make sense of what's going on with HMRC and tax and what you should be doing, then this episode really is for you. I'll be using this as an audio um, podcast as well for YouTube. So if you are listening to this and you also want to watch this interview as well, then by all means, head over to the YouTube channel and you can watch it as well. But without further ado, I want to welcome Chris. Happy New Year, mate. And thank you for coming on on the first day of the new year. Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem at all. So just give a brief intro to you um, and what you essentially do, because I think this is really important. There are a lot of... Um, of videos and a lot of content out there at the moment on this topic of crypto and taxes, not necessarily from professionals. You are a professional, you work in the tax arena. So I think just for the benefit of the listeners, just give an introduction to who you are, what you do, and how you got into this topic of tax and crypto specifically. Yep. So, uh, 
as 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 you said, my name is Chris Etherington. I'm I'm a partner at uh, an accountancy firm called RSM in the UK. We're we're a worldwide worldwide network with over 120 uh, accountancy practices all over the world, different countries and so on. Uh, and I specialise in what we call private client tax, which which in plain English means I I basically advise individuals on their personal tax affairs. Primarily, that is business owners, entrepreneurs, people like that. Um, it's anyone whose whose affairs are a little bit more complex, to be honest with you. And and over the last few years, there's been you know a lot more uh, inquiries coming my way in relation to cryptocurrency. So that's that's really how I started getting into the space. Often, it's it, it's people in the tech space, uh, early adopters, software developers, and people like that software engineers and, and they've been investing into crypto getting involved involved in all sorts of different wild and wacky uh coins and so on and you know it, it you know the challenge for them is well how do i report this stuff so you know on the very basic side of stuff of what we do is reporting to hmrc so you know you, it's not necessarily the most sexy work but it's tax returns it's making sure that you're reporting the right amount at the right time and the other part is okay well you know, what about the forward thinking side of things? How do I best structure my affairs? Um, how do I plan for the future? How do I know, you know if I'm going to go into something, how can I prepare in advance as to what the tax implications will be for that business, um, for the crypto venture that you're going into? Uh, and it's that, as well as the reactive piece, which is like the looking backwards, that's your HMRC reporting side, it's the looking forwards part. And you know, I, we, we've, we act for thousands of individual clients across the UK, I've got a, a large team. I'm based in, in Leeds in Yorkshire. And um, because I, I'm quite interested in the tech space more generally, that's kind of it's piqued my interest. And over the last couple of years, I've been getting involved in cryptocurrency more and more. I've invested myself. I think uh, if you're going to be advising people, you need to get your hands dirty. Um, actually, I, you know, I can't say that I've, I'm going to be you know, sitting on the beach anytime soon with my uh, crypto <laughs> winnings. But um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And and it's it's you know for a lot of people I think that are getting into it they probably start getting into it and maybe as a bit of a hobby and and just you know attracted potentially by the 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 huge returns that are publicised in the press and so on or you just go on coin market cap and you see some of the crazy returns you know and yeah. and that yeah it's that fear of missing out now that's not why I got into it it really is just because clients have um, have been coming to me but it's that it's that part of it has has got me into how do I get invested myself? What's 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 the best way of advising my clients in terms of structuring their affairs? Unless you're actually doing it yourself, I don't think that you can truly uh, give the full picture of you know, what what are the tax implications because there's a lot of the advice here, and we'll get into it over the course of this conversation. I'm sure you know, the advice and the guidance that we've got is quite high level, and what we've got to do is try and interpret that, apply it to apply legislation case law which is, does ex effectively exist for stocks and shares mm -hmm. doesn't exist for for cryptocurrency yeah. and we're trying to apply it to all these new innovative ways that cryptocurrency is being used and the blockchain more widely mm -hmm. you mentioned some really um important points there it's obviously doing the reactive bit in terms of paying the tax and what you've already done but you mentioned forward thinking and forward mm -hmm. planning your taxes and i think obviously you're in the industry and that's something that you will obviously be having conversations with your clients about. When I was in, you know, advising as a financial advisor, we'd always forward plan. I think for most people who 
have stumbled into crypto, that forward thinking piece isn't necessarily there. Um, and it's interesting you talk about um, how innovative crypto and the blockchain is and case law, because in the stocks and shares arena, you can forward plan all of your investments around the tax angle of it, around whether you're going to use your ISAs, whether you're going to use VCTs or EISs. You can do all of that in that forward thinking plan. At the moment, there doesn't seem to be a lot that you can do. I don't know when it will be interesting to hear your views on this in the crypto space around forward forward planning. So what do you mean exactly by that when you say forward planning on the crypto side? Yeah, so I think from you're exactly right. From from a normal financial investment perspective, there's all sorts of different ways that the government provides you with tax relief. So it's basic financial planning. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, it's not tax avoidance. It's just structuring your affairs in the appropriate way. And we've got things like on the basic side, you know, junior licenses, ISA accounts. Um, as you go into the more exotic end of a spectrum, you've got things like EIS and CDIS and mm-hmm. PCTs. And th- these are all there to try and incentivize entrepreneurial behavior. Yeah. So like EIS is, is it's a tax relief that is provided to startups and scale-ups so that they can raise funding in a tax-efficient way. And because it has risk and significant risk in for, for a number of, I think how many startups fail each year, you know, the, the government needs to incentivize people in order to get them to invest in the market. Similarly, we've got inheritance tax relief if mm-hmm. you invest into the AIM market, which is the market which is slightly below things like the FTSE. Mm-hmm. You know, you, there's, there's more risk in those companies. And therefore, if you put your money in there, you get things like business property relief, which is a full exemption from inheritance tax. Mm-hmm. We have nothing for cryptocurrency. Yeah. Now, we don't, we don't even have legislation you know, for all of this stuff, with fi- for normal stock shares, traditional financial instruments, whole raft of case law, whole raft of legislation and rules that is set in stone that allows you to have certainty as to what the tax treatment will be. What we have for cryptocurrency is guidance. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's simple as that. We just have what HMRC have provided to us over the last couple of years. Uh, last published guidance was about 2019. We are due, as I understand it, to be getting new guidance in the in the coming months. But it's not it's not strictly legislation. It's not something that you you're basically having to put your best foot forward and interpret those rules as as best you can. Now, in terms of what you can do to to try and best manage your plans going forward, from a tax perspective, I I, I get a lot of inquiries from people who are particularly looking at their their cryptocurrency activities in a more business and more professional way you know they're starting to think actually i can make more money doing this than my day job mm-hmm. and if i do if i look into this and i can you know be, maybe start looking into DeFi, you know and, and and going into some of this stuff and maybe actually spending a lot more of my time specifically looking at trading now but those are business type activities and it's the same for any sort of individual that is going into a trade you should be thinking about how best you structure that stuff so if i'm an individual and i'm you know going into the nft space for example i'm starting to mint things and uh you know and and i'm I'm making a return from selling them well should i be doing that individually should i be doing it in a corporate vehicle should i be doing it in partnership with other people these are all very basic business structuring issues that apply to cryptocurrency as much as they apply to any other business. And those are the sort of things that I'm getting involved with a lot at the moment in terms of how best to structure. The other area that I get inquiries from um, 
and it's it's perhaps the more extreme end of a spectrum we don't see this so much with a traditional business is people looking to move overseas and it's perhaps because of the demographic and the age of the people that are getting involved in the space you know if if, if it, for me example you know married wife kids house all of that stuff much harder for me to, to up roots and shift myself over to a, a more tax-friendly jurisdiction from a cryptocurrency perspective if i'm in my 20s and i'm doing this and i'm starting to think well or even my 30s you know if i haven't laid down those roots at that point i'm more flexible i can potentially move somewhere where actually i can you know start this business anywhere in the world you know you don't need to be sat in the uk obviously your family are here and then so some people are looking at okay well is is moving overseas is residency um, something that i should be looking at should i be trying to change my residency from a tax perspective and there are surprising locations that you could potentially move to so for example germany is one of the most tax-friendly locations for cryptocurrency it's not like with uh, what, what you might read in the press is right. You've got to go, you know, basically go live on a rock somewhere in the middle of the Indian Ocean. You know, it's, there, there, there are you know, places where, where civilization exists. Yeah. Not not trying to be uh, too disparaging to those two jurisdictions, but you know, it, usually there is a, a personal cost to pay if you want to um, benefit, if you like, from a tax res- residency play in terms of moving yourself outside of the UK tax net. Ideally, where we'll hopefully get to. And this will probably come, I mean, it's, it's obviously a benefit that cryptocurrency is, isn't regulated. It's one of the attractions for many people. But to some extent, the more it becomes regulated, the more that the volatility comes out of the market, the more le- likelihood there will be that we will have legislation, that we will have these incentives, that it will become a more legitimate way for businesses to raise funds, an easier way for people businesses to raise funds. Um it becomes a bit more boring ultimately yeah. and and that that in turn will i think start to you know the government will start to think well actually this is activity that we should start to incentivize as well at the moment it's seen too much like gambling it's not even seen as a, as a very, very form true. of money or currency yeah it's it's interesting you mentioned the whole um demographics moving away because i've literally just got back from dubai so Obviously, one of my personal goals for myself and my partner is we want to move out to Dubai and move mm-hmm. out there for a period of time. And we've been going there for this is the seventh or eighth year that we've been going there. So this year we thought, okay, so if we if we're going to talk seriously about moving to Dubai, let's have a look at, you know, if we were to buy a property, what could we expect on the property market? What are they building? What do you get for your money? So on and so forth. So we went looking at some developments. And these things that they're building out there are beautiful developments. I mean, just private beaches, lakes and creeks and whole scale communities, beautiful. And um, the guy who was taking us around was like, if you've got Bitcoin, you can pay us in Bitcoin. And for me, I was like, okay, <laughs> tax questions immediately. <laughs> How do you do this? All this kind of stuff. I haven't got that level of, bit of, of Bitcoin anyway, but it, it was very, very interesting to see that. And I think when I say that, I remember I've had a number of uh, emails over the new years and exactly what you're saying right there. I've got a guy who's in his twenties. He's been trading. He's like, I'm thinking of actually moving. And one of the reasons why Dubai is so attractive is because it's zero income tax. And, and so for many people, like you're saying, who haven't got roots, who are looking at this as a viable thing. And I guess, I don't know whether it's perception and maybe this is a question for you, actually, just thinking of this. 
you've got the option of doing it as a business, doing it as an individual, and I guess there will be benefits to building things in the business. But if you've got the opportunity to go to somewhere like Dubai, for example, set up a business, get residency included when you do that, zero income tax, are we missing a trick a little bit with the fact that the the tax regime, and we'll get into the background around this in a moment, is so convoluted and we've only got guidance right now? Yeah. Because for anyone who has a little bit of a, a clear idea of what they want to do, moving is a pretty good option, particularly in the fact that, you know, places like Dubai, you get better lifestyle, that kind of stuff. I mean, do you think we're, we're missing a trick with the with the fact that we're behind on where we should be with the clarity that is required for these kind of assets now? I, I think we are behind. Um, we're behind countries which are more agile. And, and ultimately, we've got a very complex tax system. We've got a mm -hmm. very complex financial system. M moving us something like what we have in the UK to, to fit something that is so far fast paced as the cryptocurrency world it, you know, we're an oil tanker mm. by comparison you know it's it, it's really difficult to do at pace we're doing pretty well compared to some of our you know large country competitors if you like you know the fact that we have guidance is is better than some people were doing yeah. you know so we're, it's not it's not all doom and gloom um and there are more things to consider if you are seriously thinking about moving overseas. You know, the, my starting point is always, what can we do in the UK? Yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I don't think it is sensible tax planning to first port of call to explore. Right, let's, <laughs> Ju let's tax free sell up, jurisdiction, move yeah. overseas yeah. somewhere. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's it often doesn't work. Yeah, because you yeah like you've got this. You've just been to Dubai. You know, you got the. You, you probably the sort of the post post holiday blues slightly come back to the cold UK. Yeah. You know, it was amazing over there. Everybody fantasizes, don't they? Mm -hmm. they, yeah, they go up there on holiday. You can't help but explore what the property prices look look like out in the place that you're staying at because you think, well, I could I could live like this. Yeah, it'd be amazing. But the reality sometimes, I mean, yes, you, Dubai might be great now, but you know, what about when it's you know it's forty degrees outside but feels like sixty, and that, you've got yeah, six that's very very true. Indoors, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. It's the personal part. Yeah. So you can't divorce for tax implications. As a you know, it's a cliche to say, shouldn't let the tax tail wag the dog. And the, the the point around that is that yeah, tax is important, but it shouldn't dictate everything that you do in your life. And so a lot of people are attracted by tax rates overseas and they go, yeah, that sounds amazing. What you've got to do is actually, can you manage your life in that way? Yeah. Is, is, it, is it actually going to be a way that you can lead your life with your family? What does that look like on a long-term basis? Because if you are to try and do this for tax reasons, effectively, you're going to have to stay outside the UK for at least five years. Not, not that doesn't mean you can't spend any days in the UK, but you've got to break your UK residency for five years, and that means for a lot of people, it's not a hard and fast rule. There, it's you know, you could do a whole podcast just on the rules about residency rules. To be honest, how many days you can spend and so on. I won't go into the detail, but generally speaking, a lot of people if they've got up like a, a property here and they spend a, a reasonable amount of time here. You're probably going to be allowed to spend ninety days a year. And, and that's tested at when you're in the UK at midnight, generally. So three months or so, yeah? That's quite a big shift to go from, right, um, and, and what happens if family stuff and you need to be here? You don't want to be restricted by tax simply because I've made some large gains on Bitcoin or whatever. So yes, it's an option. And I do have clients that are exploring it. 
and they're almost a bit nomadic in their lifestyle anyway. That's where it really works. You know, we're actually they they're quite happy traveling and they're quite happy splitting their time between different countries. If if you are prepared to just go to one location like a Dubai, that's absolutely fine. You can get a bit, you know, you can, you can find jurisdictions in the world that will work for you. Portugal's quite good. Germany's quite good. Like I said, it doesn't need to be. You, I mean, UAE is good. But then you've got other like the more agile countries. Like going back to your point around, are we missing a trick? Well, you look at places like Gibraltar and Malta. They they are very agile as they were with sort of the gambling space as well. You know, they put legislation in place, they put regulation in place. People can go there and they understand what the law is and they can set up businesses there and have a bit of certainty about what the tax treatment's going to be. Yeah, that is what's attracting people. And and I think if you're doing this on a more professional basis, that that part, the part that actually I can go somewhere, I can go overseas and maybe I can set up a, an entity in a country which is actually ahead of the game in terms of crypto legislation and regulation. You've got to cut the government a bit of slack as well. I mean, we've just come out, we're still in the midst of slightly, um, a, a you know, global crisis, haven't we? And you know, there are things that I'm sure the Chancellor would be wanting to do in this space and probably a bit more proactively, you know, putting steps in place to make this a, uh, make, or take advantage of the, 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 the opportunity, if you like, from a blockchain perspective, from a cryptocurrency perspective. But he's had, he's had his hands tied, hasn't he? You know, he's, he's been had to be talking about what I, what I do on a daily basis, the, the, the reactive part in terms of reporting. He's just had to react to news as it's been coming through. So you know, he's been in the job nearly two years or so, and he's had no opportunity really to, to actually do anything proactive. And I'm, you know, my understanding is that the Treasury and the government aren't anti-crypto at all. You know, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily true of the FCA and so on. We obviously we hear some very negative messages about it. But there is a big opportunity for the economy, and I'm sure in, in due time that once we've got the headspace to be able to do it, the government will be moving. But it is it's challenging to move at pace. Yeah, I mean, I, I follow a lot of the um, a lot of the developments around crypto, and I know that the US are they are trying to understand crypto from a regulation point of view right now. And I guess I would really love to know from your um, experience working in the tax space as an accountant. Can you give us a, a brief background of HME, HMRC's stance on crypto assets and what, how mm-hmm. they're viewing it at this point in time and why it's becoming such a, a, a big point of interest for HMRC at this point in time? Because I think a lot of people will remember companies like Coinbase now. If you have, I think it's an account balance of £5,000 or so, Correct. Coinbase yeah. has to report that to HMRC. Maybe many people feel as though they can get away with not paying the tax. I'm like, well, no, mm-hmm. because if if Coinbase have to report that you've got an account with over five thousand pounds in it, well, guess what? HMRC knows. But what's yep. the background and why is it such a point of interest now? I mean, it's simple, really, in the sense that HMRC are interested if they can raise additional revenues for the exchequer. You know, if you look at beginning of the the, the, the pandemic, the amount of gains that have been just in Bitcoin and some of the altcoins and so on, you know, huge amount of gains that people have generated in that period. There's tax to pay. So HMRC want their their slice of the cake. And before that, we we've had, you know, significant peaks or 2017-18 time. And and since then it, it was a big drop off. And then it's come come back to the fore. And we've we've we're going to see not just HMRC, but government bodies across the world trying to get information out of the exchanges in particular 
to find out who's made these gains. You know, you look at what's happened in the US, they've got this new infrastructure bill that's been going yeah. through. Yeah. You know, they, they were predicting they're going to get something like $28 billion in terms of extra revenue just, just from cryptocurrency mm-hmm. and from the information that they'll be able to get from taxpayers. I don't quite know how they've reached that figure because part of the problem is the government bodies have power to get this information from the exchanges. But at the moment, it's a little bit of a one-way street in the sense that they can request that information. So what, like you were describing with Coinbase, write to the exchanges like Coinbase, like eToro, some of the larger ones, and say, look, who's who's got who's been making these gains? Can you provide us with the information? It, you may struggle to believe it, but HMRC are really good on technology. Mm-hmm. So they've invested into data analytics software. And um, a lot of that, automatically throws up you know inquiries into people's positions and, and their affairs and so on so they're getting some, information. some people may say that that's a scary big brother tactic but oh, I, yeah. I i i do believe that because i have a friend who works for a company that does a lot of work for hmrc and he says some of the tech that they have is actually quite scary you wouldn't expect mm-hmm. that hmrc is able to do this stuff but now they can if they wanted to yeah, they, they keep it like hidden under a bushel slightly because mm. I, I don't think they want everybody to, to know the full intricacies about how it works. But it's award-winning software. You know, they, they invested in it um, years ago and it's it's probably, I think the stats are, it's raised at least 5 billion extra tax revenues wow. in the last five five years or so, you know. And that's that's from taking all the data, broadly putting it into a super, super computer piece of software and it throws up the opportunities for inspectors to open inquiries into people's affairs so we're we are at the tip of the iceberg if you like i think only recently uh, in the last few days there's been sort of um, the indian tax authorities have been looking at the exchanges some of the smaller exchanges and they've generated you know i think it was six million dollars or something around those levels um from from in the last couple of days and and you think well what what is the size of the prize for hmrc here like you say the system we've got in the moment complicated really difficult for a layman to get their head around and to necessarily report what they need to report or calculate even without the assistance of um a professional software to to help them get to those figures there's inevitably going to be mistakes made and and the risk people run by sticking their heads in the sand is that at some point hmrc will get this information either by requesting it or as as seems to be happening in the u.s the IRS are just getting powers where everybody has to report it. You know, mm-hmm. the exchanges, if you were involved in crypto, it's really broad and you were going to have to provide data to the IRS. You know, HMRC would love that. And and if if they could get that information and, you know, the, internationally com- countries are, and government bodies are sharing this information with each other. So there's almost no hiding place now. If you, It's not just a case of, right, in, I, I can have it an offshore you know, an, an account with a, an exchange in based in Hong Kong or something. No, they, they can get the information mm. still. So at some point, that data will become available. And if you have deliberately not disclosed something and you know that you had a lot something, you should have been disclosing it, then HMRC can go back quite a long way, you know, almost as much as 20 years. So you know, but- I do have a question on this because this is something that I, I, I've noticed in my comments section on all of the, the videos that I have made around mm-hmm. crypto. It's like, oh, well, how will they know? You know, if I've made gains like three, four years ago and they find that 10 years later, they're not really going to bother with me. And I don't know. I, I, I know that in the in the States, the IRS has way more power. So they can go into your bank account, it has been recorded, and take money. HMRC 
I don't think, do that here in this country. But for those people who, who are listening, thinking, well, they're never going to find out. What kind of things have you noticed HMRC do when they have identified, well, actually, hang on a second, you had this that you didn't declare and you should have paid tax on it. What kind of things are they able to do? What kind of things have you noticed that HMRC have I mean, done? The, it, it's probably less so in the crypto space at the moment because I think we're still at the early stages of all of this. Mm-hmm. They have been sending what are known as nudge letters. So those are a friendly request for you to provide information to HYC if HYC can be friendly if you like it's it's the precursor to an inquiry ultimately mm-hmm. they know that there's probably something going on here and they've got some data and they think well actually should uh, should you have been paying more tax than you have been declaring and you've got an opportunity to to try and get your affairs in order and they will perhaps look at you more favorably in terms of any interest or penalties that might be due but we, we do see this more frequently with other areas. So in in recent years, there's been a drive from HMRC to look at people's offshore affairs yeah, in mm-hmm. a similar way. They're worried that, it, it, like cryptocurrency, they haven't got a full picture of what everybody's offshore, offshore affairs look like. You know, Do you have offshore income? Do you have offshore gains? Are there things that you should have been declaring? Yeah, all the stuff that we see in Panama Papers and things. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah that, that's maybe at the extreme end of some of that stuff. But you know, that, that simply, you could be somebody who's you know, got property overseas and you were paying you know, tax in Spain, say, if you had a property there and renting it out. And you didn't realize that you had to pay tax over here and actually you had a liability to HMRC. Well, you, know, you may need to report that. And there was a bit of a moratorium for people to declare that a few years back. But now HMRC are getting all this data and they are opening in, uh, what are known as discoveries mm-hmm. um, assessments. So ordinarily, not to go too much of a detail, you submit your tax return, you've got a 12-month period, HMRC can open inquiry into it. In, in that 12 months after that they've got extra powers called discovery powers mm-hmm. and those can um be you know, tipped from usually four six or 20 years depending on wow um the sort of activity yeah so if you've just made it you know a, an error and mistake it can be six years say yeah if you haven't taken reasonable care if you've deliberately not not disclosed something it'd be 20 now most people fall in that sort of four to six year period. Like I've tried, you know, often I've, they've taken advice or, you know, they've simply missed something off their return and error, that sort of thing. But with with these offshore things, like what they did was extend the periods and mm-hmm. said, right, no, actually we can look into it for a much longer period. So that the, you, the point is that you can be looking over your shoulder for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it, all HMRC will be, if, if they've got the data and it is a, a significant flag, per their automated systems, ultimately, that raise it to an inspector. Well, yeah, they can look back. I've got, I've got, I'm working with a client at the moment where HMRC, they did something six years ago. They thought they did it right. It was a mistake. But HMRC, have, you know, at the six-year point, if you like, right, said, yeah, knocking on the door, we think you've made a mistake here and we would like you to, to deal with this. So that is something that I think a lot of my clients, when they're coming to me, are particularly worried about is that, if they've if they've had a life changing amount um, paid to them via their you know crypto gains and so on, and they want to put it into a, say a property, mm-hmm. you know, want to put it in bricks and mortar, something that isn't liquid, mm-hmm. then how do I make how do they make sure that they are reporting that correctly to HMRC? Yeah, and that they can sleep soundly at night. I mean, you've seen those situations. You definitely don't, and especially if you're 
you know, we've heard stories about Doge, Doge millionaires and people who have made mm-hmm. that kind of life-changing money. The last thing you want is to be looking over your shoulder for the next 20 years that hang on a second, there might be a tax that I've not paid. I mean, mm-hmm. that is you and plus the penalties they can leverage as well. I can imagine will be quite hefty for those kind of things if they feel that you have done something wrong. So on on within crypto assets, so we know that things like you know income tax, capital gains, those are probably the common ones that people know of. But yep. what taxes are actually due specifically on the crypto assets um, as they as they stand today in your in your field? So, so the vast majority of people will be subject to capital gains tax, mm-hmm. which is the tax that you pay when you buy and sell things, ultimately. And it's very similar rules um, in terms of the capital gains tax regime as it is for stocks and shares. So for anybody that doesn't hold their shares in the NISA and does pay tax, then uh, it's those rules that will apply. And how HMRC interpret it, very simply, is that if you bought something for X price and sold it for Y, the difference between them is mm-hmm. is your chargeable gain. And that can be subject to tax at 20%. It can be 10% if you're a basic rate taxpayer and mm-hmm. you don't have much other income. But if you were, if you had an income and you're a higher rate taxpayer, it's definitely going to be 20. Now, every person gets what's known as an annual exemption from capital gains tax. And that's at the moment £12,300. So you can make gains up to that amount each year and there wouldn't be any capital gains tax to worry about. So if we're looking at the vast majority of people, they, they may not have a liability to worry about. And they may not even need to declare anything to HMRC. You know, you, what you want to do is make sure you can defend that mm-hmm. position you know, and keep records and be able to justify that. And 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 if, if any HMRC did ever come, then you can say, look, no, my, my gains were well below and I didn't need to, to worry about submitting a tax return. What tends to happen i think and this is it's a certain demographic of going back to the demographics of who's investing in this if if you are say in your 30s 40s and you're doing a tax return anyway let's say you started getting investment income from different sources of rental property for example Mm -hmm. you know um you can quite easily still need to declare all your crypto gains to HMRC, even if you don't have a liability and that's where the admin side can become quite complicated Mm -hmm. now the rules, how they work for that are that because you've got this 12,300 allowance each year, they say you can make disposals of any asset if, as long as it's lower than four times that annual exemption. So just over 49 grand broadly. Mm-hmm. If I've got a thousand pounds in crypto and I make 50 odd transactions in a year, well, those are, I've, I've been buying and selling and yep. I've got 50 grand's worth of proceeds yep. during that year because of the 50 transactions and therefore, I need to disclose all of that mm-hmm. on a tax return to HMRC. Administrative nightmare doing yeah. all of this. By and, the way. and this is an interesting point because I've had people say to me, and I've seen this in the comment section as well. I think if you're if you're simply buying crypto and you're holding it, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. I know people who have done a shared load of transactions by trading, yep. and they're completely in the dark as to. Do I need to report it? How does it actually work in terms of, well, I would have made a loss on some of them. I would have made a gain on some of the transactions. But when you're trading, there needs to be much, much more attention paid to the tax side to it because you are trading and those transactions rack up over time. Yeah, 
And, and I guess the question there is, there's trading for crypto purposes. A lot of people refer to themselves as a crypto trader. It's different for tax purposes. So if I was you know, doing this in relation to stocks and shares, you know, if I was trade, you know, day trading and, and buying and selling things on a reasonably regular basis, would I be treated as, a, as having a trade for income tax purposes? Probably not, is the straightforward answer. It's, it's quite complicated, this, to be honest with you. And, and this is where a few people could get, could get tripped up. I think HMRC's starting point is likely to be still that most people are subject to capital gains tax, even if they're frequently trading, because this is the nature of crypto, ultimately. I mean, a lot of people could be doing hundreds, thousands of trades a year. It's not, it's, you know, there are obviously hodlers and people who hang on to their, their investment and so on. But there's a lot of people who come in and out of a market because it's so volatile, you know, and you might you might have even automated bots that help you do that, you know. And I think where you've got to look at this slightly differently to other asset classes and other activities that people do. Yeah. So we, we, what we're doing is we're looking at the legislation and we're looking at case law as to trying to determine whether you're trading for income tax purposes or not. And there's something called the badges of trade, which you have to look at. And, and these are sort of like set out in case law as to these are sort of activities that we'd expect somebody to be demonstrating if they were undertaking a trade. And then we've got to apply that to cryptocurrency. So it would be things like, okay, well, how, what sort of experience have you got? Yeah, have, have you, Are you a professional cryptocurrency trader? Have you worked at exchanges and stuff like that? Um, have, have, how have you funded this originally? Is it from your own money? Have you taken money from somebody else? Um, do you have a, like a business plan? Is there like a proper plan in place, a strategy to make profits? Um, is it automated? Uh, how much time do you spend on it? All of these factors um, and frequency of transactions and put those all into a melting pot and you've got to try and balance up. Okay, well, am I trading or am I not? And there's a lot of case law out there in relation to stocks and shares where individuals were spending a lot of time on on crypto or not crypto on their stocks and shares rather and and were and did have experience and were found to be effectively acting professionally and trading on the other side of it there are quite a lot of people who still had quite a lot of frequency in terms of what they were doing each year in terms of the number of stocks and shares we're talking probably two three hundred and that i probably again we've got to compare like with like, you know, this is apples and pears, isn't it? Uh, uh, you, you wouldn't expect somebody to be doing thousands of trades with stocks and shares ordinarily, but it's not unusual with crypto. So it, putting that sort of case law in place and overlaying it into the crypto arena, I think it's reasonable to say that if somebody is, is making a lot of trades, but isn't necessarily spending a lot of time doing it, and, and then there isn't a lot of money at stake. And, and I think a key factor is, are you doing this in a way that is professional, can be seen as a business and maybe managing money on behalf of other people? Those are sort of factors that can really tip tip it into that trading arena. If, if you are buying and selling for yourself and it's with your own funds, then I still think HMRC's view is likely to be that it's capital gains tax rather than income tax. And that may be motivated by the fact they don't want people to have the losses. You know, because if it, yeah, there are probably going to be a lot of people out there who are doing lots of frequent trades, 
but actually aren't making themselves. I can include myself in that number. And, you know, HYC aren't particularly inclined to to let people have income tax losses because those are like the most favorable losses you can get, really, because you can set them off against all sorts of other income and, and gains potentially as well. So, you know, that that's where we stand. And I think it's it's important that if somebody is doing a lot of trades, that they figure out what their status is. And they probably need to get proper advice on that rather than trying to figure it out for themselves. You, it's unlikely HMRC are going to give you a view on it. You can potentially ask write to them and ask them to give you a view. I'd expect them probably to come down in a similar stance. They don't tend to like to get off the fence on that sort of thing. And yeah. it's a question of fact. They're like the HMRC, aren't they? They'll tell you, go and read these, uh, mm-hmm. these clauses and you interpret they will never tell you yeah. what their view is because it's because i it guess they don't want to be a wrong. question of fact yeah what they will answer legal questions so if there's a, a deficiency in the law then you know it's something like you could interpret it one way or another then they can give you a view on that if it's a question of well the law's there and you've just got to interpret it well that's up to you hmc mm-hmm. aren't there to determine every single person's situation mm-hmm. and that's where an advisor comes in and they can help under, you know, help you navigate whether actually you're on one side of a line or another um, but it's important because the difference in tax rates and this is going going sort of round back to the circle of what's the difference between capital gains tax and income tax 20% headline rate for capital gains tax but you've got this 12,300 allowance mm-hmm. income tax it's it's how all your other incomes tax so yeah. 20% if you're a basic rate taxpayer 40% if you're a higher rate that could be as high as forty-five percent if you if you've got you know income over one hundred and fifty grand. And at which point you're going to start losing your personal allowance as well. Yeah, so yeah exactly. You start so it can become really expensive. Yeah, yeah. So when does when does um, when does income tax become a problem for people in the crypto space? So you just mentioned there that predominantly most people will be capital gains tax will be the mm-hmm. main thing they'll pay. But when does income tax come into the question? Because there are a lot of um, there are a lot of instances where airdrops, for example, yep. that may mean that you're going to get income tax if you're being remunerated in crypto in some way, shape, or form. That falls into income tax. Can you just elaborate on that for us, please? Yeah, yeah. And again, maybe trying to compare it a little bit to traditional stocks and shares. Like, if you had stocks and shares and you were paid a dividend, that's income tax. Yeah, you're receiving an income from that investment. Uh, likewise, if I've got money in a bank account, I receive interest on it. I'm getting income on my underlying capital. That's that's the for many people will be the trigger point for what generates an income tax liability on their crypto. You know, you've got the underlying asset. Are you receiving something on top of that for free, effectively? And and often, you know, the the key one is staking. So if you're staking, you're getting coins in return, paid at a certain point. That's going to be subject to income tax. If you're doing something which is generating coins like mining, then that that could be that's that's effectively a trade and seen as a trade and subject to income tax. I think most people are au okay with that, and, and that's probably a smaller proportion of, of people who are involved in mining. But there are you know, projects out there which allow you to generate a return um, in that way. I'm involved in one, uh, which is helium. You know, so you can you can get into the mining space quite quite easily. And and start having receiving coins which are subject to to income tax and just sat in a in a wallet. So th- those are the obvious ones. Airdrops are a little bit more complicated 
because HMRC's view on this is that they can be tax-free in certain circumstances. So if you've done nothing really in return for receiving that, then that is basically free. And it's it's then it shouldn't be subject to, to income tax. But in other, t- other situations, if you have had to do something for it, then that can be. So it's, a, again, a case-by-case basis. You've got to look at the airdrop each time. And that's when actually, when you particularly if you're using stuff like some of the tax accounting software that's available online, airdrops often is where there's a bit of a gap and they're not quite certain how it should be treated or shouldn't be treated. And you might need to look at that individually. The other areas I'm getting more inquiries about are things like DeFi. And um, there's been a lot of stuff around DAO projects at the minute with uh, huge interest returns you know, put out there. So uh, there was one called Wonderland, which was doing quite a lot of, uh, you know, doing the rounds on social media recently, where you're getting you know, 80,000, 90,000% APY and stuff like that. And and I think that that would be subject to income tax. But it's it's quite, that's that for me is the stuff that keeps me up at night, thinking, well, that sounds amazing. But what happens if I've triggered a massive income tax liability here because I've been paid in these coins and then actually it's just subject to a rug pull mm-hmm. and the whole thing has just fallen actually, away. Actually, can you please talk about that actually? Because rug pulls have been um, a common occurrence in the crypto space. I mean, certainly yeah. through 2021, for sure. There have been so many of them. What happens if you've got yourself into something like that where there has been a gain on paper but there's a rug pull. Yeah. Does HMRC, HMRC just think, oh, poor you, rug pull, oh, don't worry about it? Or are you still liable, regardless of there being a rug, rug pull or not? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I think if you've generated that income tax liability, you, you've still got it to pay. And that's the, I mean, it's the same risk you take with any of the investments that you might make. So if you're staking, in a similar way, you know, and and we've got a huge crash, um, then your coins are could be worthless, but you've still got you've still you've triggered still the that tax. income, yeah. yeah, yeah, because you you basically you've you've been paid in a coin, and it's taxable at the value at the time that you received it. So if it's uh, and this is something that which keeps some of my clients up at night. So let's say I'm I'm staking something. It might be an altcoin or something like that, where there's more risk and volatility of the drop. You know, so I might be paid, you know, a quite a high amount in terms of staking return for it, but I run the risk of that if that falls off a cliff for some reason, not even if it's a rug pull, you know, if even if there's just a market collapses on that coin, I've triggered an income tax liability on a coin at a certain point in time, at a certain value, and then I need to make sure that I've got some money set aside, some probably in a in a stable coin or just into fiat that I can settle that potential tax liability in due course because it will become due. And that's when you're talking big numbers, it keeps people up at night. That, and it's, that's, that for me is one of the biggest risks with this. So you could be doing lots of great activity in the crypto space. You know, you're doing nodes or NFTs and things like that. And that is treated as an income source because it's more of a trading income. You know, you, you, it's, not, it's not just... An appreciation in value of the coins that you're holding in your wallet. You're actually getting a return of a different kind on it. That's that's broadly, as I said, apart from airdrops, what's generating this income tax liability. And and it is at the point in time. So you've got to manage that risk of I could be getting a 40, 45%, even 
60%. You were talking about losing the personal allowance there. That, there's like a hidden 60% tax ban that you, you're, you're aware of, I'm sure. That, you know, I, if I don't have something set aside as I'm going along almost from this return, I'm just reinvesting and reinvesting. I could get in some really, really sticky trouble in the future when I actually come to come to need to pay my liability. So the issue with rug pulls is is exactly that point: is that you can get some really attractive rates, you know, getting you into the project, but you've got to bear in mind what the wider implications of getting into that project are, and what the real risk is to you, depending on where you're sat in the world. You know, if I'm getting paid ninety thousand in a coin that was worth that um, a, a decent amount at that point in time and then a month later it's worthless well i've got a shed load of worthless coins but i can't set that off against the income tax liability that's a that there may be arguments to try and argue particularly if it's in a corporate that this is something that you can set one off against the other but for me one of the biggest issues is that on one hand i've got an income tax liability and if that then, then if I'm then paid in coin, so let's simple example. I've got, I've mined some NFT, minted some NFT, sorry, and I've been paid for that in, in ether. Yeah, so let's say that, and then if that then falls off cliff, or maybe Solana, for example, maybe those because there have been examples of that falling away. You know, if that then falls away, well, I've triggered my income tax liability at the point that I've minted the NFT and sold them. But then I've been paid in a coin, which has then dropped in value, and I can't set one off, one the loss off against my income tax liability because that's you know I've just got a coin there, that's not part of my trade, that's not an NFT asset, it's not my stock if you like, that's just for the payment I've been received. I've been paid in kind effectively. HMRC don't see it as currency, so it's it's another asset, but it's dropped in value and it's a capital loss. So I've got a capital loss on one hand, income tax liability on the other, and I can't set one off against each other. So it leaves you, yeah, re- yeah. That's for me is the biggest risk area at the minute with these sort of DeFi projects or anything that sounds good, too good to be true. Well, there may be a, a, a nastiest sting in the tail for them. It's interesting you talk about NFTs because NFTs are all the rage at the moment. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the the predicted returns out there are just absolutely insane, and I'm just like, because I started looking at them over the Christmas and New Year's period. Because someone asked me about you know NFTs, and I bought. Um, some NFTs um, in November and kind of looking at some of the projects that are out there right now, like <laughs> some of the projected reward, you know, returns that they're talking about are absolutely huge. And I started following a, a ton of people on, on, uh, on Twitter. And there is this one guy who's been in the space for quite some time. And he posted a tweet about a guy who had been in the NFT community for two years. He's rocked up to events. He got to be in part of the community. He did a rug pull after two years. And it was and he was saying, you know, you can't, you don't know the real intentions of people coming into the space and it erodes, it erodes the trust in the space and some of the mm-hmm. projects. But it's like if you've minted something that he was part of in any way, shape, or form, or even just the coin that you were you were invested in, and a rug pull happens. It's a real, real tricky, tricky place to be. And I think this this comes back to something that I always talk about all the time. And this is something that I hope listeners will will acknowledge. 
is that it is so important not just to go into crypto assets, NFTs or DeFi projects or coins because of the hype attached to it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not tax, is it? But yeah. It's, but the tax is an important factor in it. But you just look at um, yeah, the number of coins that have been listed on coin. It, it just not, you know, look at coin market cap over the last three, four months. Yeah, it's, it, October time is about twelve thousand. It's what sixteen thousand today, and it seems to be going up about a grand a month in terms of extra new coins. And you look into those coins if you if you spend you know boring enough to have a look at them all, they, they all seem to be trying to jump on. You know, they, a lot of them seem like scams, and it's a lot of like the Squid Game scam. You know, honey honeypot contracts where you, you can put your money in but you can't get them out and it is just rug pulls and and this again comes back to that regulation piece doesn't it i mean there there is nothing really for people to fall back on if they've been conned you know you there are there's some fairly high profile situations where exchanges have been hacked and they've been able to get some of those funds back or convince the hacker to you know to, to re, refund um but in a lot of for the, the average layman, then they're not going to be able to afford, or it's not going to make financial sense to try and track down the person that's to do that and try and find some sort of class lawsuit yeah. against them. It's so it's so anonymous, and I think that that it's a it's a fantastic space, but it has obviously opened up the eyes to people to to, to rug pull for scammers, um, and there's an easy way to lose money as well as make money. Absolutely. So you've mentioned quite a few complications there and nuances that I think are very, very important for people to be aware of. And hopefully, if you're listening to this and you have been in this crypto space, that may have may maybe just highlighted a few things that you didn't think about before. But in your opinion, um, Chris, what should investors in crypto be doing right now with regards to their tax position what would be your advice your view on you know a few things that they should be should be doing right mm -hmm. now i think it, to some extent it's the boring stuff it's get your admin affairs in order you know try and collect information as you go it, to some some extent treat it like a small business so if you were running your own business you were sole, sole trader you wouldn't just do your accounts at the end of the year and, and present them. Well, maybe you would, but hopefully you would present them to your accountant with a box of receipts. You, know, you want to mm -hmm. do it on an ongoing basis. You want to know whether you're making a profit or not. And other parts to this as well that people just don't think about. Like if you've got a lot of your wealth tied up in crypto, particularly if you've got a family, then what are you doing to protect that? A lot of people are worried about you know hot wallets versus cold wallets and keeping things off exchanges and stuff. But then... Has anybody actually got a will? Like, what happens mm -hmm. if you die? Has anyone got your passcode? All of that stuff. Like, you've got a plan for the worst. So there's there's that part. Get your stuff in order. Make sure that you can report, you can justify everything if anybody comes knocking on the door in terms of the tax inspectors. But equally, you've got a plan in place, almost like a business continuity plan for your investment portfolio that, okay, well, if I go, if something happens to me, if I get hit by a bus, then my spouse, my partner, whoever it is, is able to pick up the pieces afterwards. You're not leaving with a massive mess. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. I think the, the other thing is I've touched upon it before. If you're doing something which is going to be a substantial sort of new activity, do your research like you were talking about first. A, is it the right project, obviously? But what are the tax implications of that going to be? 
Is it going to be income tax? Is it going to be capital gains tax? Get a feel for that in advance before doing it rather than trying to unravel it after the fact. Because that then informs that forward thinking piece I was talking about before in terms of should it be done personally? Should we be thinking about doing this within a corporate vehicle? Now, I don't think people should be jumping into setting up companies for doing cryptocurrency. The, the factor is lacking in regulation makes that difficult. You know, just opening a bank account for a company is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there are practical barriers in place, but I certainly am helping clients with take, making that transition, if you like. You know, if they are doing this and want to do it professionally and they want to spend more of their time looking at this sort of space and generating an income, should it be in a company or should it be, in, should it be you know, done as an individual? Yeah, you know, you've got limited protection in a company. That's one of the benefits of having a company. If everything went kaput, then it can go, you know, and a company goes bankrupt, you know, your personal assets could be protected. There's other wider consequences. You know, you could be, you know, disqualified as a director for not paying mm-hmm. a tax liability, for example. So I'm not saying that you should go into this if you know that you're going to go bankrupt, but it offers you that layer of protection that you're not going to go personally bankrupt. It's not your whole life on the line here. Mm-hmm. But, and also there's wider financial advantages to it. You know, if, it, if, you, if you were setting up a business and you didn't need that income, you didn't need to live off it and you wanted to reinvest those profits, well, that's what corporate vehicles are for. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes sense to reinvest it because corporation tax at the moment is 19%. Yeah. So that's a lower rate. It's obviously, it is going up. But again, this is where you need advice and it's got to be at a certain level. If you're just doing it in a small way, it's probably not worth it because of the complication. There isn't, you know, you talk about legislation, there's hardly anything in terms of accountancy rules, um, the, the rules for companies in terms of tax law are even you know, less clear than they are for individuals. So it's not something you should jump into immediately, but it's something definitely to think about. And the final thing, the thing is, get just get a grip of what your tax liability is going to be as soon as you can, even after a big transaction. So you know, and you're keeping that aside in a stable coin or something that you feel like is protected. You know that you're going to be able to to get those funds and settle the liability. Either do it after that transaction or reasonably soon after the end of a tax year. So your tax year runs to the 5th of April each year in, in the UK. So you know, once you've done that, you've got a reasonable idea of, okay, well, this is what I'm going to have to pay in the January following. And so I can heat that aside. And you've got more comfort then that you can go spend, you know, ultimately your profits if you if you do want to do that or reinvest in something else, um, particularly if it's in a liquid asset like a property or something like that. So those, yeah. are the, those are the key things that when I'm getting, when I'm speaking to my clients about it, it's like just understand the risks of everything ultimately that you're going into. Huge reward, but, you know, we know the risk of the volatility, but there's huge risk from a tax perspective you need to be wary of. Yeah. There was something that I do want to touch on that you mentioned there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've certainly seen it from my time working in, in financial services and working around financial advisors and being a financial advisor. And that is the whole piece of having a will. Because even just on the stocks the stock side of things, like a partner dies, it has to go to the, the wife and the family, but actually account details, all that kind of stuff. If you've got a, if you've got Bitcoin, crypto in a in a cold warrant or at usb or something like that because obviously the memorable words if you've not documented all of that stuff how are you going to get your partner to get access to that as a resource it's really really important to think about 
and we've not even talked about things like you know the inheritance tax issues with yeah. with those kind of things as well. And regardless of whether you move abroad or not, domicile comes into it, where HMRC can still have a say on your worldwide Correct. assets, and that becomes a real big issue. And I guess a lot of people have some very very nasty surprises at some point when they realise, well, hang on a mm-hmm. second, you're still domiciled, so it doesn't really matter whether you've moved elsewhere or not. HMRC still HMRC still want their forty percent in that of that asset because of the domicile status and stuff. And I think more than anything else, it is about seeking professional advice. And I know that do you do you find that people become reluctant to seek help from people like yourselves who are professionals in the space? Or do you find that people are kind of a bit more open because they realize they don't really understand the intricacies and nuances of 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 things? I think it's it's a mixed bag. You get um, a lot of people come to me, and it's it's quite strange because obviously, like cryptocurrency is is volatile, and you've got to be a risk taker to go into it to some extent. But it is that so six of April is often a busy time for me because they're like, mm-hmm. I, my tax year is done, and I need to do my tax year. Can I pay HMRC now? You know, mm-hmm. it's like I want to be ultra cautious on on the on the HMRC side of things and keep their noses clean. Um, Others, I think, are in. I still think there are large swathes of people who think that this is just too difficult to get their head over, head around, and are sticking their head in the sand. It's less so because I think the emergence of some of the tax software platforms out there have helped um, for people to calculate their taxes, and there's free tax calculators out there as well. I think open source ones. So, yeah, that at least gives people a steer as to whether they're over that. 12,300 limit in terms of capital gains if they're thinking right i'm just doing this in a relatively small way and i've not made a huge amount of profits then you know can i get comfortable that i don't have a liability to declare you know people are i think more people are looking at that from and i'm getting a lot of inquiries from people doing stuff which is the the more professional type stuff Mm -hmm. and they they are very keen to make sure that they're doing things in the right way and they want to do this as a business and that's yeah, that that I think is something that we'll see more and more of this coming year. You know, the the space is is still gathering a lot of momentum. You know, we've had a lot of challenges last year um, that that came through, and a lot of blips during the summer and so on, and, and late spring. But it's, it it hasn't dampened the enthusiasm, as far as I can see, in terms of the people who are passionate about this. And and it is it doesn't feel like it's going away with all the institutional investment that's going into it. Um, People, it, HMRC are getting their act together. I think investors are getting their acts together as well, and and hopefully, you know, it, that that all in in due course is probably going to be a good thing, you know, because what, going right full circle to the beginning of what we were talking about in terms of what allowances and so on, you know, how's how's the government treating this, and um, this should should we be looking at crypto assets in the same way as other you know more traditional financial investments? Well. The more that people are, you know, are keep, keep looking at their affairs in a more professional way and getting their affairs in order, I think the legislation and, and, and government, treasury will take that into account and think, well, actually, this is a space that we need to get behind rather than attack. Absolutely. So in, in finishing this off, I, I want to kind of just ask you so that people are kind of clear, because I get different people who, who listen to the podcast and different people who listen to the the YouTube channel. I have a lot of business owners and private individuals um, who have businesses, so on and so forth. As I, as I say this, I'm thinking of three or four people that I've had conversations with last year that would be perfect for you, where 
they own businesses and they actually have a lot of money invested in in Bitcoin specifically. Mm-hmm. And I think one of them had a lot of money in um, Ethereum as well. So what kind of client profile do you typically work with just so that people know who are listening? Yeah, yeah. So look, there is no hard and fast rule of the type of client I work with. I think it's more around the complexity around the affairs and whether I can add value. Uh, you know, it, it, we're a large accountancy firm. We're not going to be offering the same level of service as somebody you might get down on a, on a high street firm. You know, if you want expertise in terms of this space and, and also the comfort that actually you've got a larger firm with strength and depth to be able to look after your affairs. And that makes sense. You know, I, I, vast majority of my clients who are involved in the crypto space probably are into sort of six figures at least. Mm-hmm. And, then it's yeah because there is a cost involved to particularly if you're looking at setting up companies and so on it's not it's not prohibitive but it's something that you need to bear in mind if you want Mm -hmm. it done properly you know if you've got if you want to set up a sort of a blockchain or crypto related business unfortunately all the uncertainty means that to some extent we've got to look at some of this stuff from scratch to figure out what we think the interpretation is and you need people with experience to be able to do that so it does come with a with a cost and a fee associated but i wouldn't say there is uh, a hard and fast rule. I mean, you know, I've got some very wealthy clients at one end of the spectrum. I've got some you know, fairly modest ones. I mean, my client base ranges from 14-year-olds through to 100-year-olds, you know, and anything and everyone in between. You know, that, that that's one of the benefits of what I do is I can work with such a huge variety of different people. But, and and it really is like, if I can add value, then I, you know, I'll, I'll, I won't take people on if I don't think that I'm the right person for it, I will point them in the right direction of somebody who can help if, if it isn't yeah, exactly. me. So, you know, it's less, it's less about size of wealth or anything like that. Particularly, it's more about what are you getting involved with and actually, can I help? You know, is it, am I the right person to be helping with you or actually should it be somebody else? Excellent. And how can people get hold of you if they want to reach out and ask questions and, and try and see if, uh, if you can add value? So easiest ways, probably just Googling me and you can find me fairly easy that way. So Chris Etherington, if you type in RSM as well, then it should be hopefully the first result. You can just click on my profiles on our website and there's a contact me button on there. Um, LinkedIn, always happy to link in with people. So if you, if you want to send me a request on there as well, that's absolutely fine. And I, I try to get back, obviously LinkedIn is a little, whenever you're dealing with social media, you get a lot of messages that aren't necessarily relevant to you. So it's, it's, I apologize in advance if I don't contact you back immediately because because it's got often a large stream of people. Um, alternatively, by email or phone. So uh, my my email address is chris.etherington at rsmuk.com. So feel free to get in touch that way. Excellent. I will leave um, all of those in the show notes and on the YouTube description part. So if you are watching this on YouTube, you can literally just go into the description and uh, go and check those out. I know you've been doing a lot of stuff last year around lots of kind of like newspaper articles. You've mm-hmm. been like kind of like the go-to person really for a lot of the uh, the national press. Have you got much lined up for 2022? Uh, it's something I've had an email this morning asking for some stories. So it's something I, I'm quite interested in doing all of that. And yeah. um, I do a quite a lot of in the PR space and trying to highlight tales of the unexpected, if you like, from a tax mm-hmm. perspective, try to make it interesting for people. And um, yeah, I think the... the the key with crypto is that it's always yes because it's so fast moving there's always a story and an angle really so you know that for me is i i like reading about it i like writing about it 
so yeah, there are definitely some articles uh, in the pipeline. So yeah, you're not getting away from me, I'm afraid. The the the, the spamming on PR continues. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Um, just as a as a note for for anyone listening and watching, um, Chris and I have discussed you coming on uh, doing a live Q and A on on mm-hmm. the channel. So if you do have questions after this, um, if you're listening on the podcast, probably the best thing to do would be to message me on Instagram. Send me a direct message there. If you're watching on YouTube put your questions in the comment section and we get Chris onto a Q&A, then we can actually just go through those questions and hopefully provide a little bit of interaction and stuff like that on a live uh, setting as well. But mate, I really do appreciate you for for spending the time with me this morning to have this conversation. I know it's going to be very, very helpful and very, very useful to a lot of people because this has been like a topic that my, my background is investing and mm-hmm. I don't to be like talking about something that isn't really my area of expertise, but I've had so many questions. So I do a little bit of research. I've made a couple of videos. And um, yeah, when I got introduced to you, I was like, okay, this is the person to really kind of help elaborate on this a little bit more with confidence. Because sometimes I research it, I'm like, that doesn't sound right, but everything is saying that it's right. And you say it and you're like, mm, you need to check with an accountant. So it's really been really, really good to have you on. I appreciate it. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. If you are watching or listening to this, thank you so much for spending this time. A little bit longer in terms of duration, but I hope that you found it useful. On YouTube, I will timestamp some of this as well so you can skip certain sections. But as always, guys, remember, you know, this is 2022. Hopefully you've got your goals. It's all about making the best decisions for you from a financial point of view and helping you achieve your goals. Money is a tool life is for living at the end of the day. So I will hear, speak to you and probably see you on YouTube uh, next week. Catch you in a bit. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, be sure to check out other episodes and share with the people closest to you. New to investing? Check out Peter's course for first-time investors designed to give you the foundation you need. If you prefer one-on-one coaching, book a complimentary discovery with the man himself. All links in the show notes.